Good morning, Cross Point Community Church. I hope that your heart has been prepared to study the Word. And at this moment, there's a couple things I'd like to do. I'd like to first dismiss first through third graders. Any of first through third graders that want to head out back there with Miss Danielle to head up to the second floor uh, to learn the Word from our teachers up there. This is your time. By the way, I can't say it enough how much I appreciate our children's leaders, directors, teachers. Those of you that are sitting here right now, that you know you're week two or three or four, and you would rather be here probably to worship and study with the rest of the congregation, but you serve so well our children, our families, by teaching our children. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Then this, um, thank you for those who prayed. Hannah and I had a great time away, uh, anniversary trip, a delayed anniversary trip. And God used it in our hearts so much. Uh, just the refreshment, um, getting to know each other again. <laughs> you need that, especially when your, your circus keeps rolling. And, uh, but just a wonderful time together, a wonderful time with the Lord. We spent time just praying, reading, um, studying together. So thank you for those who prayed on that. I will tell you this, we, we miss you guys. I mean, I honestly, I try to say this every Sunday. We love you. <laughs> Our hearts are overwhelmed with love for the body of believers that we have been called to serve. And uh, you are our friends. And so I don't say this enough, how much we absolutely love every single one of you that come to Cross Point Community Church. And if, uh, thank you. <laughs> and if you are visiting with us this morning, we love you. <laughs> we are so thrilled that you have walked in these doors today. And we pray that today would be a blessing to your hearts if you're listening online. Uh, we pray that the, the text of Scripture would, be, would, would help you grow today in Him. Then, uh, just one quick mention. I know Griff so articulately mentioned all of these announcements wonderful, in a wonderful way, but just to highlight uh, three of these things, there's a busy couple weeks at Cross Point. Next Sunday night here uh, is a time of fun and fellowship. Just so you know, our goal as an elder team is to create opportunities to grow in the Word to be serious about that, but then also to create opportunities that the body would serve, but then to create opportunities that the body can have fun together. Fun is, is necessary to the body of Christ. It's good. It's okay. Someday when I get to heaven, I can't wait to watch some of these reels of Jesus and his disciples, the joking, the laughing, the practical um, sarcasm that happened with Jesus and his disciples. I believe it happened. Well, next Sunday night, we're going to get together, and it's going to be a fun time. Tim and the Glory Boys, uh, they have a neat show. They put on songs. Um, they, they make some really good worship songs and then some just fun songs. And so if you want to come as a family, this would be a great opportunity. This Wednesday after that, so April 6th, uh, Shasta Bible College is going to host a conference. And that evening here, we're going to do, all of our adult groups are going to come together, and there's going to be a discussion on end times prophecy. Well, if your mind hasn't been perked in any way the last couple months about what God's doing into the extended future and as he's setting up for his kingdom and the consummation of all things, then maybe you're not thinking. I don't know. Because my mind is constantly going, what is God doing here? It's so cool to think, to go to his word. Well, it's just an evening where we're going to talk about these things. A couple speakers are coming in. That will be Wednesday, April 6th. And then families, April 9th, Saturday evening, right here will be uh, what's known as the creation experience for young ones. Families, you're invited to come. Young people, come, even though they're not even in here. So parents, bring your kids. Uh, we'll get the word to the kiddos up there. 
All right, so would you do this? If you haven't done so yet, would you take your Bibles, your devices, it's even on the back of your handout there, and would you go with me this morning, my friends, to Romans chapter 8. We are continuing on our journey through Romans, and today we return to, yes, one of my favorite texts of scriptures, um, Romans chapter 8, 1 through 17. I hope and I pray that you've been meditating on this wonderful text. Since we've kind of had a layover, uh, kind of a reprieve for the last couple weeks on our journey, I want to take about five, five minutes or so, maybe ten minutes for the 30,000 foot view to kind of remind us where we're at. We've had some good feeding of the Word the last couple weeks. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for stepping in last week. But, uh, and then the elders the week before as we kind of gave a recap of that conference we went to. But today I want to kind of give that overview to remind us where we're at. If you want to see, it's on the bottom of the back of your handout. This is our outline, the journey we've been on. You'll remember as we've gone through this that the theme, the overarching theme of this book is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul proclaims this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith to faith. And so right away, the theme of this chapter, or this book, you see the gospel of Jesus Christ that is not meant to stand still. It is meant to carry us through our entire lives. My friends, that's the book of Romans. The gospel is not just sufficient to bring you into relationship with God. The gospel is sufficient for every single moment of your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. That is the book of Romans. So there's a bit of a narrative going on in this epistle, a, a storyline happening. So Paul starts off discussing this gospel, and he talks about condemnation. The righteousness of God revealed in condemnation. This is chapters 1 through 3 in a general way. Chapters 1 through 3 proves this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of this, not one single person stands complete and holy before a holy God. We have a serious problem. Not only are we born into the race, the Adam's race, Adam's family, Adam being a sinner, but my friends, we have chosen since we were young to rebel against this holy God. Because of this, we stand condemned, but then we run right into this beautiful articulation, chapters 4 to 6, of this declaration of righteousness. We saw this clearly just explode from the text, chapters 4 through 6. That justification, meaning a declaration of righteousness by a holy God on undeserving sinners, is in Christ alone. You cannot do anything to make God even want to come close to declaring you're righteous. It is only on the basis of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who went to the cross and paid for the penalty of our sins. So this justification is in Christ alone, by grace alone, you cannot earn this, and it is through faith alone. But then this leads us to the, the now what of this justification. 
God saved our souls to not let us, as we try to remind ourselves often, not to just have us sit down on our couches and say, oh, wow, let's see all this happen. No, God saved us for a purpose. He changed our hearts and gave us new life. He made us new creations for a reason. And we see this reason so beautifully again articulated as we continue on through the text, chapters 6 through 8. But there's a problem, my friends. It's the old flesh. It's the fact that we still have this. We still get up every morning and we want to curse the dog and our neighbors and all our workforce. We have this flesh that is constantly terrorizing us and I'm not going to go back and explain all of this. But yes, our hearts have been changed, and you see this Romans 6 through 8 now, this terrorization of the flesh. Well, this journey, as you see on the back of your handout, this sanctification, this journey of holiness, this journey where God, I mean, I'll just read it from here. This is the process of spiritual growth by which all true believers are consecrated away from sin and toward Christ's likeness. This is a journey. This is why we call this progressive sanctification. When we talk of this sanctification, we have to remember that it inseparably flows from justification. They both start at the exact same moment, justification and sanctification. But then this sanctification will be to some degree or another present in the life of every true follower of Jesus Christ. To some degree or another, there will be expressions of sanctification. That's the scriptures. Why? Because in this sanctification, we have been blessed with the indwelling Holy Spirit that will never leave you. But then we realize as we walk through these texts, and we're going to see this in the next couple of weeks, that this sanctification will certainly lead to another word. It is the word glorification. He who has begun a good work in you, he will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. So where are we at in this book right now? We're on this journey. This journey of growth and this journey of battle. We are fighting our flesh. And if you'll remember, I'm not going to go through all of this, but if you remember, as we get to the end of chapter 7, and the, and the heart of the Apostle Paul just overflows in text through the Spirit. The conclusion of Romans chapter 7 is we desperately need help. You can't do it. I can't do it. We can't take one step in this journey of sanctification on our own. We need help. And so then, flying onto the scene, I love to think of it this way, bursting onto the scene in Romans chapter 8 is the third person of the Trinity mentioned 20 times. It is the Holy Spirit of God. The Comforter. Jesus, prior to going to the cross in the upper room, calls Him the Helper. And so when we cry out, we can't do this. God Almighty, I can't do this. And it's only Monday morning, 7 in the morning. God Almighty reminds us that, no, you're right, you can't do it. But I've indwelt you by the Holy Spirit that will guide you every step of the way. So, in Romans chapter 8, we see this. God's plan for sanctification in the first 17 verses, and I hope you're hanging with me. We're still kind of at this 30,000 
We're starting to narrow down. We're about, we're about 10,000 right now. We're narrowing it down to Romans 8, 1 through 17. But what we've seen the last couple weeks is this. The first thematic element of Romans 8, 1 through 17 is this. Every true believer must embrace the comfort of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We're not on this journey on our own. So embrace the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But in addition to this, every true believer, number two, must fully comply to God's expectations. It's intrinsic in the text. You cannot separate this indwelling from the Spirit from the expectation that God gives. What does He expect in this text? It's clear. Three things. Walk in step with this Spirit. Number two, put your mind on the Spirit. Pastor Matt showed us last week how to do this. Be in God's Word. And number three, battle your flesh. Remember what we talked about? Be killing sin or sin be killing you. This is where we're at in this text. But there's another wonderful thematic element to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And this is what we'll be focusing on today. So here we are now down at ground level. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 17, and here is the thematic element. Every true believer must find confidence for every step of the way, not in yourself, but in your new identity in Jesus Christ. As you walk through this text, you're going to see these wonderful descriptions of this new believer. We've already gone through chapter, you'll remember this, chapter 6, the first five verses of chapter 6, the foundation of our sanctification. What is that foundation? Is that you have a new identity. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about in Romans 8 has already been highlighted in the first five verses of chapter 6. Now Paul is just further describing this. But I want us this morning to see this new identity come alive. I'm not going to read through all 17 of these verses, but I want to read, would you follow along as I read Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Let us see our new identity, friends, in Jesus Christ. Starting with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. As much as I want to get into this next section, let's, let's move down to verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now verse 12. Notice the next uh, description, new identity. Here it is. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to your flesh. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Uh, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit, here's the next one, underline it, are the sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I'll tell you what, when I read through this text, and it happens several, happened a couple times this week. Reading and studying through this text, I, I do a lot of my studying up on the third floor in the pastoral study. It's a good thing that there aren't people there because so often I just exploded in emotion when I read this text. Who we are in Christ Jesus. Very clearly from this text, we see this key truth, one of the thematic elements of these 17 verses, and here it is. As they seek for strength on their journey of sanctification, both for growth and battle, all true believers must find confidence in their new identity in Jesus Christ. So, have you, have you ever noticed the tendency, and really it's more of an expectation, to act differently when you put on a uniform? <laughs> you ever notice that? Um... You can see this in the workforce, but I'll, I'll tell you, it, as I've noticed this, and maybe you've noticed other areas, I see this really highlighted in three areas, military service, law enforcement, and athletics. I love it. When you put on a uniform, expectations come. But also, when you put on that uniform, there's a bit of confidence that there's backing. You know what I'm talking about, the absolute pride that wells up in your soul when you see someone in a U.S. military uniform. I love it. I love seeing the young ones come back from boot camp wearing their, their uniforms and come and worship with us. I just want to go give them a big hug. Thanks for service. All of you who have ministered, have served in our U.S. forces, thank you. But you know what it's like when you put on that uniform. Same for law enforcement. The admiration when you see someone wearing their law enforcement gear. Knowing that they're putting their life on the line for our safety. Oh, I just want to go give them a big hug. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. There's expectations that come with this, but also admiration and confidence. This is who they are. I particularly also enjoy seeing this in athletics. I mentioned this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but... Watching young ones when they make the team of their dreams. They've been wanting to go after this team. They've been trying out for this team. You know what it's like. Maybe you've seen this in your own family. They make the team. And what happens when they make that team, that hard team? The coach might send them home with a uniform. <laughs> you know what it's like when you get home with that uniform. You put it on and then what do you see? You watch this young one stand in front of that mirror. <laughs> All right, this is mine. 
Now I was right there. I mean, flooding back in my mind this week was when I was a freshman in high school, going from eighth grade to ninth grade. Soccer and wrestling were my sports, and so we prayed through this, my dad and mom and I and family, just kind of thinking through what high school I wanted to participate in, and we landed on a high school, it's called Overland High School, it had both, it had a very good soccer team and a very good wrestling team, and I was going to plug into these teams, so I stepped in there as a freshman. We had two or three grueling weeks of tryouts, and I remember that as if it were today. At the end of these tryouts, the coach, the last Friday of tryouts, he's standing there and he's calling out the team. There's a mass of guys that have been trying out for three weeks. And I'm like, well, yeah, we'll see how this goes. He's calling out the varsity team. I remember the last name, I think the second to last name he named on the entire squad, Andrew Scott. I wasn't expecting to be on this team. I thought it would be super cool to make this team, but I'm thinking maybe JV, freshman. He calls me up for the varsity, and then with this, he says, all right, team, we're headed up to the team room. He gives us a bag. Man, I didn't care in seniority if I was number 1,000. I didn't care. I was on the team, and I remember taking all the gear, taking it home and just being like, ah, yes, I am part of Overland High School soccer program. I mean, what am I getting at here? When you, when you experience times like this, you realize that there's so, sort of a, a new identity. And with this new identity comes a confidence. I'm part of this, my friends. I, I really think as we look at this text, this is sort of what's got to be in our minds. In Christ, we are new creations of God. So what is the confidence for the battle for every day of our lives? Is waking up in the morning and saying, I am a new creation of God. He shed His blood on my account. He brought me into relationship with Him. He has indwelt me with the Spirit. He has made me new. Well, I think as we go through Romans 8, 1 through 17, we find four primary metaphors for this new creation. I put some supplemental passages on the bottom of your page. If you would want to go to 2 Corinthians 5, I think you see this new creation mentality highlighted. But when we're in this text, we're going to highlight, we'll see as Paul highlights four of these metaphors. And we're going to start with this first one. These metaphors, this new creation is for those who have been justified, as we've already mentioned, who've come to relationship with God in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. You cannot earn this new identity, and we want to be very clear on that. But then what is the first metaphor he talks of here? Would you look with me at verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What's this first metaphor? This first highlight of the new identity of a believer. It is that we have been, and I will say it this way, every single true believer is now a freed convict. <laughs> it's in the text. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 
uh, 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Every single true believer can cling to the wonderful identity that they now are freed convicts. Why this terminology? A freed convict. Well, because Paul, through the Spirit, takes special care in chapters 1 through 3, as we just reminded ourselves, to prove that every one of us is a convict. Condemned. Because of this, we all stand guilty before God. Guilty of a sinful, rebellious nature through Adam and guilty of a sinful, rebellious actions through our daily choices. Guilty of falling short of God's holiness, God's glory. Guilty to the point of condemnation, subject to the very wrath of Almighty God. And what is the standard of God's holiness? My friends, you know it. It is God's revelation, particularly His holy law. However, oh, and I love that word, however. (laughs) However, because Christ paid the penalty of sin on the cross and the Spirit now indwells all true believers, Paul can confidently proclaim that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. From guilty convict to beloved son. That is this text. In Christ Jesus, we are freed convicts. This is something to get excited about. Uh, The metaphor really takes us into the scene of a courtroom. By the way, there's a fantastic sermon uh, Brother Dave sent to me a couple months ago. On this, I'd be happy to pass on to you. It's called Acquitted in the High Courts of Heaven. Well, I've loved listening to elements of this. But when we go to this text, we find ourselves in this courtroom. Think of this with me. Would you hold on for just a minute? In this courtroom, you find the convict on trial. Who is the convict on trial, my friends? Well, as much as we want to weasel out of it, it is you. It is me. The convict is the sinner of Romans 1 through 3. You have come from a rebellious family, Adam's family, and you have personally committed crimes of rebellion against a holy God. So in this courtroom, you are on trial. Who is this judge, my friends? It is God Himself, the Creator of all life. His righteous standard has been established. His holy justice will be upheld. He has a perfect track record, this judge. The prosecutor is Satan himself. He is the accuser of the brethren. The the key prosecuting witness, you know what they are. It is God's law and God's justice. In this courtroom, the convict is squirming. Why? Because there's no loopholes. They don't exist. No plea bargains available. 
The verdict is read loud and clear as the convict is squirming. And here is the verdict. Guilty of crimes against a holy God and condemned to death. However, at just the right time, someone of prestige steps in, shows up in the courtroom, gently puts his arm around the convict and nudges him to the side, stands in his place, The judge summons him to explain, what are you doing? What is the meaning of this? The person of prestige says, Father, the courtroom gasps. This person is the son of the judge. Father, The courtroom has heard from your law and your justice, but I want to speak to your mercy, Father, your forgiveness, your enduring kindness. Father, as we agreed long ago, I was to pay for the penalty of this convict. Father, look at my hands. Father, look at my back. Look at my side, Father. Father, I already suffered. I already bled and died for this man. In his place. Father, lest it be forgotten though, I want you to remember, I conquered death. I conquered death so that I could come here today and speak for this man's life. But Father, lest it be forgotten, through this resurrection, I am here to release this man, to release him to new life, to make him a new creation. With tears flooding down the convict's face as he stands amazed, absolutely astounded, the judge looks at the convict and asks, Sir, Do you truly believe this? Will you receive this payment for your crimes? With remorse for his sin that created this nightmare, the convict falls to his knees and proclaims, Yes, I believe! So then with the gleaming smile across his face, the judge proclaims, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, my friend here today. All of us who have come to Jesus Christ in repentant faith, as we struggle, and it is a struggle, as we struggle through this journey of sanctification, as we are terrorized with the world, the flesh, the devil, as we battle the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, let us, my friends, never forget that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The first of the four identities given to the believer in this text. Let us go to another one, and in this one we're going to jump down to verses 11 and 12. 
Every true believer is not only a freed convict, every true believer is a freed debtor. Verse, I'm going to actually start reading verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Now verse 12, here it is. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Paul explains that through our new identity, we truly are debtors. This word debtors means under obligation. You are under obligation. But there's a negative here. You are not. And it's interesting how Paul, through the Spirit, aligns this. You are debtors not to your flesh. We are not under obligation, as we've seen already in the past, to that remaining humanness that regularly terrorizes our minds, our will, and our emotions. My friends, we are not under obligation to the tyranny of those remaining propensities towards sinful pleasures and godless allurements in the world. I appreciate what a a neat commentator, his name is Douglas Moo, what he says on this. He says, like freed slaves who might out of habit obey their old masters even after being released legally and positionally from those uh, masters, so we Christians must or can still listen and heed to the voices of the old master of ours, the flesh, that old master speaking to us. And so what do we do? We run to this text and we realize that Paul is serious when he says we are no longer debtors to our flesh. All right, let's just make this super practical. Maybe you know what it's like to pay off a debt. You ever done that? Oh man, the, just the excitement. We're talking about that last car payment. <laughs> You've been released from that obligation. Yes! We're talking about that last student loan payment. <laughs> Finally, after 300 years, I paid it off. You've been released from the obligation. You're not going to keep paying for your student debt after you've been released from it. What about that mortgage? (laughs) Some in this room have had the opportunity to pay off your mortgage after years and years of every single month paying the bill. You have been released from that obligation. You will not, I mean, unless there's something wrong with something upstairs, you will not keep paying this mortgage payment after you've paid it off. And Paul is saying, at one time in your life, you had a debt to this flesh because of who you were, but you are no longer a debtor to this. You have been released from this debt to your flesh. Believers, through our new identity in Christ, we have been released from any obligation to the rebellious flesh of Adam's sinful race. Let us never forget this, and let us now go to the third of these metaphors in this text of our new identity. Verses 14 and 15, this is highlighted where Paul says that every true believer is an adopted child. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of what? 
adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we already touched on this concept when we were considering the the comfort of the Holy Spirit, so I I won't spend as much time in this. But we, we really do need to revisit this, in short even, because it's so important to our new identity. Clearly, Paul wants his readers, even the Gentile readers, if you remember back to what, it, man, like almost a year ago when we set up the historic context here. In this church congregation in Rome, Paul's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. And we'll see this developed in the next couple months again in Romans 9 through 11. But you have this mentality that we're special. God through Abraham, the Jews, God through Abraham has made our family special. And you Gentiles, you just kind of, And what is Paul saying here? Even the Gentiles and every single one of us in this room would say, praise God, our children of Almighty God. As they struggle through the journey of sanctification, all true believers are reminded by the Holy Spirit that they, even Gentiles, have been adopted into God's family. Friends, in Christ, we have the amazing privilege of calling out, Daddy, Daddy! We talked of this a couple weeks ago. One of the things that made my heart melt from the time I was our first dad and our children could walk was when they would run up and say, Dad! We have that privilege with Almighty God. He has changed our identity from being enemies of this God to being adopted children in His family. Not a single one of us did anything to deserve a place in God's family. And this is why I love the metaphor of adoption. Why? For two reasons. Utter helplessness and sovereign action. You did nothing to deserve adoption. God did everything to bring you into His family. Not a single one of us did anything to deserve a place in God's family. In fact, if you go to the text, you realize we are enemies of God. If ever, anybody, we are the last ones to deserve this family. But God, in His rich mercy and kindness, chose to show love to the unlovely. Catch this. God, in His grace and His mercy and His kindness, chose to shower you, the unattractive one, the unlovely one. He chose to come and get you into His family, brothers and sisters in Christ. He chose you to belong to Him. If you doubt this in any way, please run this week to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and read it over and over and over and over again. I put that on the supplemental passages. A lot more could be said of this. But in regard to sanctification, the beauty of adoption and progressive sanctification is that you and I are continuing every day. This is the beauty of it. To bear a resemblance to our new adoption, to our new family. Every day you go to the Word and you read, guess what? He's making you look more and more and more like Him. Every day you're bearing more of a likeness to this God and this Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the beauty of this adoption. God's once desirable, now adopted, 
once undesirable, now adopted children are progressively growing and bearing resemblance to the King of King and Lord of Lords. And this leads us to the last of the metaphors today to look at in this text. These are to give us strength and confidence in our daily battle against the flesh, the world, the devil. And here it is. Every true believer is a privileged heir. Okay, so it goes beyond just an adopted child. And I wish we could take some time right now to just unfold this historic context. To see the beauty of someone brought into the family and given all of the rightful blessings of being a natural-born child. But the passage says this. If you would look with me at verse 16, and we'll wrap this up. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We'll talk about that last phrase in the next couple weeks. But basically, basically this. Sometimes we get derailed by this suffering thing. It doesn't mean just because you're suffering that you're no longer an heir. You're still an heir of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God is using this in our lives to grow us closer to our Heavenly Father. Very, very clearly, this is a reference to the wonderful privilege, the privilege of an identity in Christ as a new creation. Not only has every single true believer been adopted into God's family, but additionally, every single true believer has been made a full and rightful heir of God. The text says this, you heir of God and His blessings, His full blessings in your life. Endless blessings of this God, the creator and sustainer of all life. But additionally, I mean you could say it this way, furthermore, we are all joint heirs with our divine older brother, and you need to take this in good solid theological terms, who is our divine older brother, it is Jesus Christ. Not only does that, this have massive implications for the Jews and Gentiles discussions we'll see come alive, but this has massive implications for how we exist every single day. How you and I exist in this world right now. Think about this, brothers and sisters. We are no longer under the wrath of God. We exist as heirs of a loving God. Let us get this into our minds when we struggle with temptation and doubts and uncertainties, friends, because of our union with Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we no longer exist in fear of God's displeasure. Catch that. You don't exist in fear of this displeasure, but you have the assurance of God's enduring kindness. You are His. So that pain you're going through this week, that temptation that won't let you alone, my friend, run to your loving Father. You are His. We are adopted heirs. And here actually is the point of the New Testament, all of the epistles. You're an adopted heir, so now act like it. (laughs) If you want to summarize all of the epistles, that would be it. 
You're an adopted heir, so act like it. We must never forget that we are adopted heirs of majesty. When temptations come slithering our way, we must find confidence in this new identity, this identity that drives us back to this key truth in Romans chapter 8, 1 through 17 is this. As they seek for strength on their journey of sanctification, all true believers must find confidence in their new identity in Jesus Christ. So what? Let's wrap this up. How is this going to make any difference in your life this week? If we come and just sit here, open the word, and don't go out, change, something's wrong. Anytime we spend with the word, we want it to translate into, I mean, really, a life change. This passage is to change our lives. How is this going to make any difference in our lives this week? And I think we must ask this question. I will ask this question to you. Through your journey of sanctification, are you finding daily confidence in your new identity? The world around you is trying to tell you you're something that you are not. The world around you is trying to constantly put identities in you. And so then what do we do? We run to the Scriptures and we realize that, friends, if we have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, we truly are freed convicts. We truly are released debtors. We truly are adopted children and privileged heirs of majesty. Does this guide your life? This week, will this new identity guide the decisions that you make? For those who have never come to Christ in saving faith, I need to address this. There's some in this room that have been wrestling with this for some time. Maybe you're new here today, and with all love and sincerity, I need to say this. As a preacher of the gospel, I need to say this. I must inform you that you still are a convict who needs freed. My friend, you still are a debtor who needs to be released. My friend, you still are a child who needs to be adopted. My friend, you need Jesus. If you've never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, would today be that day? From youngest to oldest, if you've never come to Jesus Christ, would today be that day? Would you admit you're a sinner in need of a rescuer? Would you believe that Jesus Christ is the only rescuer? When you call on Jesus to rescue you today. For believers... Practically, how does this work as we wrap this up? The temptation that terrorizes your life every day? Let's be real. The temptation to cheat on your spouse physically or emotionally? Don't do it. Why? Well, here's why. Because you're a convict who has been set free from eternal condemnation. Remember that. That temptation to porn? Don't do it. Why? Well, because you're a debtor whose debt has been paid. Don't forget it. That temptation to lie on your tax return, to slander another church member, to gossip. Oh, brother and sisters in Christ, don't do it. Why? Well, because you've been adopted. 
You're an adopted child of a gracious God. Don't you ever forget it? That temptation to fight for you, your self-consumed agenda or preferences, your self-saturated ideas, and how life and ministry should happen for you and for everyone else around you. Don't fight it. Don't fight for that. Why? You are a privileged heir of God and fellow heir with King Jesus. My friends, let us leave here today overwhelmed. I'm serious. This week, even this morning, sitting down, I'm like, I don't know how I can preach this because my heart is so filled with gratitude for what God's done to me. Taking a wretched sinner and making him an heir with King Jesus. Adopting me as his own. Freeing me from my condemnation. Releasing me from my debt. My friends, as we walk out of these doors, let us sing cheers and praises to Almighty God for saving our souls. As we seek for strength on our journey of sanctification, let us find confidence in our new identity. So God, I thank you for this text. How meaningful it is to us. The new identity we have in Jesus Christ. Oh God, I pray that we would hold to this. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the beauty of what you've done for each one of us in Christ. Lord, when I think of these key themes that you have highlighted through Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, the fact that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the fact that you've given us expectations to live, and the fact that we have confidence in a new identity, oh God, I pray that they would come together for every single follower of Jesus Christ at Cross Point Community Church. And then I pray, Father, that there, if there are those here today who have never come to you in saving faith, that this would be that day. Thank you for the time we could spend in your word. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a minute, we're going to close out with an anthem of praise to God. There are some here that even right now are wrestling with your eternal destiny. Where do you stand before a holy God? My friend, would you not walk out these doors without settling that today? At the end of the service, there will be chaplains, elders up front, around the room. Even your brothers and sisters in Christ would love to talk to you more about how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A relationship with God that is in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. Would you come to Jesus Christ today? Again, those of us who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, this week will you battle knowing, knowing this, that you're a freed convict, you're a released debtor, you're an adopted child of God, and yes, you are a privileged heir of King Jesus. Let's stand together as we sing this anthem of praise to God, highlighting and exalting the person and work of Jesus Christ.